1: Hi guys, and welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. I have a great show for you guys. We have Brian Moylan on the program. He's a housewives expert and he's got a new book out all about all things housewives. So he and I chat about Dallas, the New Jersey of it all, all things in just a second. But I want to say before I play that for you guys, we did the chat on Friday. And on Friday, as we were talking, there was so much happening in the world of Bravo. We have, of course, Hannah from Summer House had uh, put out a statement that she was not going to be returning to Summer House. Now, I don't know if she quit or was let go or fired. You know, it's all kind of blurry. I don't believe that anyone actually just voluntarily leaves these shows. I think they're not offered a contract back. Whether or not you want to say that's firing or quitting, who knows? Who's to say? Unclear. However, she's not going to be returning to Summer House. And I, for one, am surprised by that. Because I thought Bravo would for sure bring that chaos agent back into the home into the summer home. But now, where do we go from here? I'm curious to see what happens with Sierra and Paige. I think we'll get a taste of what that's like in the Winter House, which they're not even calling Winter House now. They're calling it like Summer House Winter Getaway or some shit like that, which doesn't make any sense to me. Just call it Winter House. Anyway, we'll get to see how that dynamic plays out. And I'm curious. I I think... It's surprising to me. I know a lot of people were calling for her to get off the show, but I I still think that it would have been a lot of storyline if she brought back. So it will be a little bit of a reset because so much of this past season was about her relationships with the cast. And so I do think it's good. I think it'll help the rest of the cast kind of level the playing field a little bit, if that makes sense. Anyway, also on Friday, there was all this stuff going on with the real houses of Dallas. Now, Brian and I talk about it in the interview, so we'll get to it. But I do want to say that since we talked, Bravo had released a statement on their Instagram and their social media saying that they stand by Tiffany Moon. And we all, I stand by Tiffany Moon too. I love her. Love my queen icon legend Tiffany Moon, and I just want the best things for her. And honestly, I sort of think the best things for her is to get away from this show. I don't know that we need Dallas going forward. I mean, this past season not great. The season before it not great. Maybe we just regroup. You know, a lot of people are saying maybe like a Married to Medicine Dallas. We follow Tiffany Moon there. We could still have Mama D on the show. We could sub to Andra, and we just get a new thing going. Or I would love, I always say this, I would like the Housewives to just sort of move over. Let's move to like Austin, Texas, or another part of Texas. You know, like we can have the production company just sort of shift. And we could very easily bring Tiffany, DeAndre, whoever we want to like a new, I don't know, it doesn't have to be Austin, but like a new city adjacent to Dallas. That's still Texas where we could still get the, the people that are bringing us good TV. Mainly just Mama D. Mama D, we need Tiffany Moon, Mama D, and I'm good to go. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the world of Dallas, so Brian and I talk about it, but I just wanted to give that update that we did get a statement from Bravo Now, some people are saying it wasn't enough. I don't know well, time will tell. I don't know by the time this is released, maybe they've done something else. Some people are saying you gotta fire this person that person I don't know, you know it's all moving so fast. The world is turns the world turns everyone. the world turns, so we'll see we'll see what happens next with Bravo. I always like to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, like, let's wait and see what happens, because it was all happening on a Friday, and we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Maybe there's some legalities. Who knows? So we'll have to just watch what happens live and go to BravoTV.com for more information. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I want to play my chat with Brian. I hope you guys enjoy. Brian is an expert. We do have some differing opinions on a lot of housewives. You know, I, I've i come around to Teresa Giudice this season, and Brian does not care for her. But I think that's what makes this whole world great, is that we all sort of have these differing opinions. But um, I hope you guys enjoy my chat with Brian. Moylan, please find me on social media, at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter and Instagram. There's a new Sex in the City episode recap out on the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash everythingiconic. If you donate $4 more per month, you get access to the bonus episodes, and I just do one a month. More importantly, the money helps to support this show, so thank you. And then what else? We have new merch available, everythingiconic.store. We have t-shirts up to size 5XL, the highest we could get. So please go shop at everythingiconic.store. And with all of that said, do I sound nasally? I feel like Janice from Friends. My allergy's been terrible this week here in LA as I don't know it's pollen everywhere enough of the fucking pollen I feel like Janice what is going on anyway or the nanny the nanny okay I'm sorry I'll play this interview for you guys uh Brian Moylan love you all talk soon bye-bye yeah, 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 yeah. I'm here with Brian Moylan who just wrote the housewives the real story behind the real housewives Brian how are you doing
2: today I'm so good. I'm so excited to talk to you about The Housewives in general and The Housewives, the book. You have and so much to talk about. How does it I feel
1: this everything. baby of your book is out into the world? How are you feeling?
2: Oh, my God. It's so crazy. I've been working on it for like two years plus, And now it's like finally done. And I'm excited for everybody to read it. And um, yeah, and like hear what you all think. I hope everybody's really going to like it. So, well,
1: yeah. I'm sure people like it. It's very juicy. I haven't finished it yet, but I've, I've read uh, about half of it and it's very juicy. And we love, you know, we love juiciness. But I wonder, I know we talk, talked about this a little bit off air, but I wonder, there's so much that happens in the Bravo Housewives universe. Like, how did you narrow down what you put into this book?
2: So I tried to do more of like, you know, people keep being like, oh, is there going to be stuff about Erica in the book? Is there, you know, and her divorce from Tom, and is this going to be in the book? And it's not, there's so much like juicy housewives gossip from so many years that I couldn't really get into like any, like, oh, here's what happened here. And here's what happened there. Like, you know, I talk about like Scary Island and the table flip and Dinner Party from Hell and some of that stuff in a little bit more detail like the famous stuff but it's a little bit more of like an overview of you know how the shows got developed where they came from um what it takes to make them how bravo works how the production companies that make the shows work and then also like the fan communities and stuff like that but um so i was doing lots of research and like hunting people down for uh interviews and stuff and then um, I had a few things scheduled, and then like coronavirus happened, and then it was like the interviews I had kind of like fell apart. So thanks, Eden Sassoon, for ghosting me. <laughs> and uh,
1: <laughs> Eden Sassoon, I know, oh, how dare a, you! What a woman.
2: But then, so then it was like, you know, because I was like researching, I was reading like every article and like interviewing people and trying to find people and hunting people down. And so then, like, once coronavirus hit, I was like, okay, like, this is it. This is all I'm getting. Like, so I'm going to take all the information I have from here and just like write the damn thing. You mentioned so,
1: Erica Jane, Brian, and you wrote Erica Jane's book. And yes. okay, so what do you make? Did she bamboozle orphans and widows?
2: I don't believe that she bamboozled Orphans and Widows. I believe Tom bamboozled Orphans and Widows. Um, And I think his bamboozling was going on before Erica ever showed up or wanted to have a pop Mm. career or wanted to be on reality television. Um, But I talked to Erica recently and she said she was caught like totally unaware by all this. And that she's still kind of trying to figure out all of the implications, and there's still lawyers and accountants and whatever involved. But um, I do know she's going to be talking about it on the show. So, and and I think that, you know, what Tom did clearly was awful to the orphans and widows. I don't know why we keep using orphans and
1: widows. I think Dereet but... used it in the trailer. So that's how oh, I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm using that from
2: now on. Um like what Tom did was awful but by the you know, way I'm I, sorry
1: I need to just stop you in the trailer it's so funny to me that they just they I think they cut to Dorit and she's just like orphans and widows and then they cut to something else it's just like a two word i think cut <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so
2: stupid but i loved it i mean the end, i mean that's really what we need but i think that like we should get to hear like Erica's side of the story Um, before we start judging her and saying like oh she's a criminal and put her behind bars and you know whatever but you know if she was involved in it then obviously like what she did was very bad but from the erica i know i doubt that she would have been knowingly involved in orphan and orphaning and widowing right
1: I imagine did when you guys talked, did she say, like, let's do another book? Like, there's another
2: book in here. I, <laughs> I was like kind is. of like, girl, I was like, let's save it all for the next book. And she <laughs> kind of joked and she was like, well, let's see what happens. <laughs> oh, my So, gosh. Um, yeah. But, so for, I mean, so for, I would be happy to do it. It would
1: be so juicy. So, for this book, the Housewives book you wrote, how many Housewives, or, or I should say, like, former Housewives did you speak with for the book?
2: I spoke with about a dozen former and a couple of current housewives. Most of them like off the record on background. Erica was not one of them. Um, but and then there's like maybe like five or six that are quoted in the book, like Kristen Takeman, Linda Urkalician from DC, Anna Keen Kosa's from Miami. Carrie Duber from Dallas. Um, And then I talked to, like, Shane Keough and, like, Greg Bennett, some, like, people who are on the shows but weren't, like, Housewives. But I found that the best people to talk to were the producers, the editors, the story editors, the camera people, like, because they don't have a stake in the game necessarily. And it's, like, the Housewives usually want to talk about themselves and their problems with the show or who they don't like or or whatever, whereas the producers get more of, like, a – uh universal view of it and so they really know and you know they talk to the different women and they get everybody's sides and so I think that you know I talked to a bunch of those people and so I think that that's kind of where I got all the real good juicy stuff
1: and in my experience those producers tend to know way more than the cast members even do Uh, because they know the sides of everyone's story and yes yeah they're i mean because i yeah it's the juicier stuff okay so you you had all this stuff for the book i imagine there was a lot of stuff that had to be cut whether for legal reasons or for uh you know length reasons like what's the juiciest thing that you had to cut
2: um so the juiciest so there was originally going to be like a whole chapter about how the housewives deal with the press and how they like leak stories and like things like that. And I, you know, I talked to a bunch of gossip columnists, you know, and people that work on, the websites that we all feel bad about reading and they were all like, Bethany Frankel is like the master of this. Like she, like early in her career, she would like go out with semi-famous guys and be like leaking it to the press. Like while she was out on these dates and she was like always massaging her image. And I'm sure she's probably still doing that to some extent, but I also think that, you know, I heard from some of these places that pay people to um, share their stories And they said that they have producers at like all of the different shows uh, essentially on retainer. And it's wow. like while they're filming, they send in like dispatches. And so it's like, so when it's like, oh, did Kenya Moore leak the story to page six? Like maybe Kenya did, but also a producer might have done it. And, you know, people are like, oh, they're leaking the story to get people to watch. And it's like, no, they're like leaking the story to get paid because mm. they don't, they don't make enough, you know, as a reality television producer. And so I think that was like some really, Interesting stuff. And like I talked oh, to I somebody that. who worked at a tabloid. Um and you know, like tabloids don't pay as much as they used to, but you know, back when Teresa was going through all the police uh jail stuff, um, they were paying her regularly for like photos and photo shoots and cover stories and whatever. And then when they started like investigating her finances, she was like, Oh, you can't pay me for these anymore. But like uh, if you buy my kids a trampoline, like I'll give you a story. <laughs> oh <my laughs> or if you like pay for this event, like I'll give you, you know, whatever you want. Really? And so yeah. So there's like lots of crazy dealing like that, which I find um Really oh, I find that also
1: fascinating, Brian. You and I—I I think we disagree on Teresa because you don't like Teresa, but I—I I think I'm like what do they call us? Like I—I I feel like I tree I'm, hugger. I'm a maybe a tree hugger. I like her a lot, and I didn't always feel that way. But this past season, I like really came around. I'm like I think I love her. Like
2: I. <laughs> I think it's weird because like I'm so involved in Teresa's life and like I'm really sad that Nona's gone and like I love that Gia's in college and doing well and all that, but Teresa herself, I just can't. And then, like, at the end of the season, when she was like, oh, I don't want my boyfriend on there. I don't want all my business out there. It's like, bitch, you are on a reality show. Like, you are cashing this check. Like, get Well, that and really everything else is,
1: everything else has been on the camera for them. So it's like, you know, why stop now? I yeah, my, exactly. my main problem with her in the past was just that I felt like the show seemed imbalanced. And that it was, like, so heavily uh, yes. Teresa-driven and... Uh, she was driving all of the story for a couple seasons. It felt like it was just about her and that was great, but I wanted it to be more of an ensemble. And so I think the reason why I came around so much this past season was because it, it started to feel, I still think it's imbalanced. I still think she's driving most of the story on that show, but um, it felt a little more balanced. And so when it is like that, I love her. I love her on the show and I like the, the doses of her family and all of that kind of stuff, but it it needs, uh, you know, to me, the Jersey kind of peak days was was when it was balanced so perfectly between the Manzo family and the uh, Teresa's family.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that unlike any other show, like New Jersey is Teresa's show. And it's like, we learned that Atlanta doesn't need Nene and Orange County doesn't need Vicky, but I can't imagine New Jersey without Teresa. And I think that The women know that and and that has an impact on their like arguments and discussions. Whereas like Margaret can't be like, fuck you, Teresa, you're wrong and you're awful and you treat people like shit. And here's why, Mm. because she needs like everybody needs to stay on Teresa's good side to stay on the show. And so, you know, and, and and I think that also leads to like Melissa always points out, like. Teresa's like oh you didn't have my back but then immediately throws Melissa under the bus and doesn't have her back and so it allows this sort of like bad behavior of Teresa's to go like totally unchecked which I find very frustrating whereas like if anybody if Ramona does that shit everybody's like fuck you Ramona you're an asshole and you know yeah
1: you know the Melissa of it all I've said this on the show that like I really believe it's clear that her and Teresa do not care for each other at all and some people said that's not true no they get along and and I feel like it can't be any more crystal clear that they're just getting along for the sake of the program.
2: <laughs> and I don't... think for the sake of their families, which, yeah. you know, is, is bigger than the program. I believe it's also... more though the program. I think if it wasn't for the yes.
1: cameras, I feel like they just would kind of go their separate ways. They'd maybe see each other once in a while, but
2: right. I just do now like that the other. parents are dead. Like, you know, I guess they'd see each other at like graduations and stuff, but. Yeah, well, and and it was so revealing to me when Jackie was having that fight with Teresa at the beginning of the season and Melissa was like, oh no, you can't use reason with her. Like that will not work. Like I have tried and it, like, just give up. Like it won't work. And I was like, yes, like Melissa has just totally like given up and is totally like, I am Teresa's number two. But I'm really glad that Melissa is on all stars because I think Melissa is a really underrated, underappreciated. Oh, see, we disagree on that too. Even though she makes up her personal story every year, <laughs> I, I know that's what I hate. It's
1: like, I mean, even I just saw something in page six that was like Melissa and Joe leading uh, to divorce or something, and it just none of that feels real to me. And maybe it is, like maybe I'm just totally reading it wrong. But I don't find any of that to feel even like something I can let wash over me in the guise of realness. Like I, to me, it just all reads so not
2: real. well especially because the, the argument is so elliptical where it's like they just keep having the same discussion like i want to be free i want to do more and he's like i want you a, a house don't forget me and it's like they just have their talking points and they're going over it again and again and like if i thought that there were real stakes and they're if it was like a luann tom situation i would be more interested in them just like saying the same show over and, over and there
1: was that one scene in the car this season that felt like that sort of argument with them happen naturally but otherwise it always feels like okay we're setting up cameras here for the day for us to discuss our marriage and right so that's I think also why you know oftentimes I like when there's an event and then the emotions about the relationship come to a head but with them it always feels like okay this is a scene just about their relationship that like they're together every second of the day
2: like they had time to plan this all out I don't know the biggest shock to me this season was Jennifer Aiden and Bill Aiden, who um, I kind of like. Oh, them. I love him now. I do, too. I love him. I love him. I always liked him and her. I like yeah. when she was alone and with her family. I was like, OK, I like you. And then she get with the women. I was like, oh, you're fucking annoying. But this season, like right. she really did. And like the uh, that story with her parents, like you can feel the realness there. And like, and just how they talk. And it's like when they started speaking Turkish on the phone, I was like, oh, we're, we're deep in it now, girl. She's
1: good. She feels classically like a great housewife addition to me. And But yes. I, I will say I'm a little bit worried. The season ended of Jersey, and the finale at the Halloween party, it was like fine. I, it was fine. Yeah. But I worry about next season. I do think we need some sort of shift or additions or something there. Yes.
2: What do you think? I think that we probably – would have gotten more of that if it weren't for COVID. Like, I feel like because of the COVID of it all, like they've added some women of color, which I think it it was much needed and I'm glad they did. But other than that, like a lot of the cast stayed the same. And so I, and like, same thing with Atlanta, like Atlanta needed to add some more people or take some people out. and And I feel like New York could have added another person or two. And so I feel like they're kind of biding their time for life mm. to reopen again, and we might see some more shakeups because that New Jersey cast has been the same for like three seasons I now. I know.
1: I just need a couple more and a couple more messy people. Like they didn't have the Danielle at all, and they yeah. brought in that Michelle. I like the side characters. I think Jersey. I love the husbands, but I do think a lot of they rely on a lot of them for the episodes, and I w- I would like yeah. them to rely on like a, maybe a messier woman or two.
2: So the reason we get so much husbands on New Jersey is because they are the only spouses that get paid.
1: So that, do we know that for a fact? Because
2: I, explain. I know that they get paid and I'm pretty sure that most of the other ones don't. So I don't know for a fact that they're the only ones that get paid, but I'm pretty sure that that is the case.
1: What about in terms of on the other franchises? Do you know this or not? Like when somebody's in a confessional, they have to get paid if they're in a confessional, correct?
2: I would assume, but I think it might be different for, like, a PK, who's, like, the only husband who does a confessional and he wants to do it because he wants to talk about how Beverly Beach isn't getting sued or whatever. Right. Um, But... I also know that most of if the kids are once they're over 18 on Jersey, they get like a stipend for like filming and I, and some of the other children who are older, who we see a lot are also getting paid in a sort of like friend of kind of way, like someone like Tamara's son, Ryan, um, or like Brianna or. I want Brianna. What do you make of Orange
1: County? What do you, what should they do to fix this?
2: Oh my God. I don't know because it's so like this past season, I mean, because of COVID, I think it kind of got a little ruined, but it was like, you had like Shannon Bador and Tamra and Vicky and Kelly Dodd, like all time, great heavy hitting housewives. And they couldn't make a good show. Like they couldn't make a group somehow. And so I don't know if they need to like, get rid of everybody and recast around somebody else. Um, and make it interesting. I mean, I heard like
1: rumors. The- I don't know if this is true. So no one take this as fact, but I heard rumors that they're uh, possibly recasting around Heather Dubrow or that they were trying to get Heather back to re to basically build around her. That's a complete, could be complete rumor. Cause you know, these, I don't know who tells me what.
2: Right. I think that could be interesting. I mean, or, like if you were to recast around Gina, I don't know that Gina's like aspirational enough, but um, you need to recast her on someone. I know Bronwyn wants it to be her, but I don't know that we need a full-time Bronwyn. It's too much. I think
1: we all like Bronwyn going into last season, we all wanted to really root for Bronwyn, but it was just, it's hard with the paparazzi setups and all of
2: that. I don't know. Yeah. She is a hard person to root for. (laughs) And that was kind of my thing with Jersey this season is like, you know, I wanted to root for Jackie going up against Teresa, but also I don't really like Jackie. So it's like, you know, I can be anti Teresa and not have to be pro Jackie. I kind of feel that way about like Broadway.
1: Let's take a quick commercial break. And then we'll be back with more. Now that's a great thing. I love using Redfin. I love checking out. If you're buying or selling a home and you, you need some help with that, check out Redfin. Download the Redfin app to get started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd find, I'm, you must find this because you do the recaps at Vulture so brilliantly. And, you know, a lot of these housewives, they have very uh, passionate fan bases. Not all of them, but there's a handful of housewives that uh, You know, if you say I notice on the show, sometimes there was like that Carol Bethany season where they were feuding yes. and I, I was team Carol at the time and like, oh my God. And I, I was, I was trying to, I, I thought I was explaining well that like, I still like Bethany and think she's a great housewife. And, y- you know, but- yes. I didn't think she was right in that situation. And to me, the fun of these shows is that one season I could really like someone and then the next season I feel differently. Like, I really believe the shows are produced that way to make us question who we like and who we don't. Like, did we like someone the last season? And then the next season, their whole job as production is to make us question our feelings towards these people. But then now it almost feels like, Versus back in the day, that was how I thought most fans viewed these shows, and now it feels a little bit different. Where it's like, if your team so and so, you're you ride or die
2: with them, and to right. me that and you, sucks And some that of the means fun you have to be against everybody who's. Yeah, and what I find fascinating about the Housewives, and you know, I talk to a lot of fans, I talk to you and like other podcasters, like people like myself who have like made this into a job. And what I find fascinating is every single housewife has people who love her and people who hate her. And it is, and it's like you know, you and I were both you know homosexual gentlemen of a certain age, and are intelligent, and like love these shows. But I hate Teresa, and you love her, and so it's like, and, and there's almost no accounting for that, and 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 that's kind of what I like about it, and and is being able to have these discussions where I'm like, okay, I respect why you like Teresa, and you respect why I hate her, but there are a lot of people who are just like you're wrong you're a liar fuck you you know especially like on twitter where there's like no room for nuance or no room for any Mm -hmm. like interesting discussion and so it just becomes these like teams and i find the teams to be really boring and i especially find like when there becomes teams on the show to be really boring when it's like you know the blondes versus the brunettes or whatever and then it's just you know them right you know, entrenched warfare. And I'm like, that's boring. It's always
1: right? a better season when there's a bunch of layers where it's like yes. one, you know, Kenya and Cynthia are a little team, but then Cynthia, you know, is friends with Portia and you know, when they're right. layered and nuanced, it always makes for better season. I hate when it's a Bethany versus Carol and you have to be yes. one or the other to me. Yes. It sucks all the fun. And then, I mean, I do it on podcasts, but you do it on, on Vulture or, you know, I think, you just end up getting yelled at by people all day long or or online. (laughs) And it's like, how dare you said that about this person or that person? It's like, okay, this is no fun anymore. Like,
2: (laughs) So I, um, <laughs> my husband, Google image searched himself recently. Uh, I, I don't know why, but he was like, oh, I Google image search myself. And then I was like, oh, maybe I should Google image search myself. And so I did. And then I saw my book cover was posted on Reddit, on the like housewives, like Reddit. And I was like, oh, I wonder what they're saying about the book. And so I clicked on it, which I mean, I always say like, don't read the comments because it's such a mistake. And there's all these people being like, you know, the main post was like, oh, I don't know who this guy is, but this book sounds interesting. Is anyone going to buy it? And then it was all these people like, oh, he's not funny. He's the worst, blah, blah, blah. You know, like talking all this shit about me. And I'm like, okay. Like knowing that, you know, I'm now like a housewife. Like there are people that like me and there are people that hate me. And most of them were, you know, and there were some people that like me, whatever. But then there was this one comment. It was like, Brian ghost wrote Erica's book and helped her cover up her crimes. And he lied about this and he made this up and he was run out of New York city. <laughs> and I can't tell you why, because I had assigned an NDA for work and I was like, Oh my God, I was run out of New York city. Like, that's amazing. Oh what did gosh. I even do?
1: Oh my gosh. I, You're a you brave like, soul for reading that, that thread though. I mean, I'm scared. I can't even read my podcast reviews anymore because it stresses me out too much.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so now I like, I um haven't been back. But I do read the comments of the Vulture recaps, and I'll like get into it with people. I'll be like, girl, you stupid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you
1: wrote this whole book. So tell me what you learned at the end of the process. Like, what did you learn about this whole phenomenon? I want to know where you think it's going because you're obviously an expert on this you wrote a whole book about it you must have you must have some predictions of where this whole franchise is headed do we have much more time with it uh maybe some things i don't even know what did you learn
2: i think that we definitely i mean is l- I will say I am a little worried because Andy always said like when the ratings really go down, he's going to chuck a bunch of them on an Island and just film it, which has it's now happening. happened. Right. So I worry a little bit that it may be the end of it, but we're also seeing like Miami on um, Peacock. We're seeing Portia has her own show. Like, you know, and and the ratings are declining but they're declining at the speed of everything else's ratings. Mm. So it, it's just like pe- the viewers are moving to streaming or online or wh- what have you. But I think at this point, it's like you know you know as well as I do. There's like a very dedicated fan base right. that will watch passionate. these shows, yeah, till the end of time. And so I think that it's right now enough that they can keep these shows going for a while. And so I, I am heartened that we're starting to see some more diversity and some more women of color. But what about the the Tiffany moon of
1: it all? What, I mean, are you following that what's going on? We're recording this on Friday. So as of just right now, of this recording, it was like Tiffany removed that she was in the Dallas cast from her bio. And she tweeted this cryptic thing. And then she uh, gave, gave a statement. I believe her, her lawyers did forgive me to variety too, right before we started recording. And uh, the Westcott family had been tweeting some nasty things at her. And it's a big thing. What do you make of that?
2: Well, first of all, I can't imagine anyone naming an adult baby chart (laughs) or an adult human calling himself chart. But I mean, here we are. But I also think that Bravo and Goodbye Pictures, that makes like... Uh, Real Housewives need to protect the women of color that are going on the show from these kinds of things, you know, and it's like they're giving them the diversity and giving them the shield of having these all white casts, but then they're not shielding them from all these assholes on Twitter. And it's one thing if like people on Twitter are just are going to be jerk to her, like they're going to be jerks to everybody. But like when it's your coworkers and your coworkers family, like that's a workplace issue. And yeah. like, could you imagine if, you know, you went to work at McDonald's and one of your coworkers was like calling you a racist because you're Asian and like all that shit? Like, and they no. were
1: tagging her place of work, I think. Well,
2: I, yeah. I think and I, like, forgive me. I don't know. But, and alleging yeah. that she's like a bad doctor who shows up drunk and stuff. Like, I mean, that's kind of crazy to me. And I think that they need to do something to address all of that.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to see. I mean, it's Friday now. I, I don't know, maybe Bravo will step in and say something. I feel like when I saw the variety thing, I thought, okay, they Bravo, I don't think they could just ignore it. Like I feel like they have to come out and say something.
2: Um, Absolutely. I and I feel like I I think that what Andy the the exchange that Andy and Kelly Dodd had at the last Real Houses of Orange County reunion, I've been thinking about a lot where she was like you know, you know, he says, oh, I get people saying to fire you all the time. And she says, well, I always hear that you're un-American. And I think it's one thing if, you know, if Kelly Dodd wants to believe in whatever she wants to believe in, if Ramona wants to believe whatever she believes in, like, okay, fine. Like I'm, I'm trying not to like hold your policies against you. Cause I'm sure there are actors on our favorite shows that may have views different from ours, but it's another thing when, it's, like, about race, and it becomes, like, people are unsafe in what is literally their workplace. And and so, you know, um, yeah, I think that needs to be addressed. You know, Brian, I
1: had mentioned I'd only read about half of the book so far and loving it so far, but I just didn't, haven't gotten a chance to finish it. But I will say you were kind of tough on Andy, and I really love Andy, but it seemed like, am I wrong? Did I read that incorrectly? Were you tough on Andy?
2: I think I was a little tough on Andy and I think here's the reason why. And I think that, you know, fans always say like, Oh, Andy wants them to get back together. Andy really likes Teresa. So she'll never get fired or Andy does this or Andy does that. And uh, Andy is not the all powerful Svengali that I think fans think he is like Obviously, what he did at the beginning of the franchise, especially when he was working at Bravo, like before he was on Watch What Happens Live full time, he was very instrumental in creating this thing that we made. But he was one of a team of people amongst the like producers, the other people at Bravo. It's and like, also, he
1: was- I, I don't think people also realize that each show has a different production company. So there's a different yes. set of executives for each show. Some of them overlap. I think like Beverly Hills and Vanderpump Rules has... Or, and know, a County, couple. Yeah,
2: they're all the same. And like Salt Lake City and New York are the same and Atlanta and Potomac are the same. And so and, you know, all of those handle each other a little bit differently. And, you know, and so I think that if by saying like, oh, Andy thought this, you mean, you know, a bunch of executives at Bravo, a bunch of executives at the production company, the producers on the ground, then yes, like Andy as like a placeholder for all these people is a thing. But I think that there are people both at Bravo and the production companies that have stronger voices than Andy that can overrule him. And he's been overruled on a lot of things from, you know, he didn't want he just wanted to call it the Real Housewives, not the Real Housewives of Orange County. He didn't want to cast Tinsley. He didn't want to expand to Dallas and Potomac. And he gets overruled on these things. And I think in a lot of times it's to the betterment. And so even if Andy likes Teresa, if the head of Bravo hates Teresa, then she's gone. And so, and I think Andy is definitely a voice in the room. He's still engaged in production on the Housewives. You know, he still sees the episodes before they air, even though very late in the editing process, but he's not like, he's not the only voice in the room. Like there are a lot of other voices in the room. And I think that fans don't always realize that or or they just are using Andy as like a shorthand for like the forces at Bravo.
1: And I always feel bad for him in that way because I always feel like he has to take all of it. I mean, even this thing with, um, on Dallas, I feel like yes. I, I've seen so. I mean, people are tagging me in in tweets to him and it's like, I don't think he, he's not in charge of it. And I would imagine they're also ha- having these conversations, but it's all happening very quickly. And I just right. see and like everyone thinks it's him.
2: Yeah, and they're having conversations that Andy may or may not be a part of. And, right, but he's getting all the tweets. And so I think it's like, you know, he gets the, I mean, there's no other network executive that's as famous as Andy Cohen. And I would argue that, like, Andy is probably more famous than any of the individual Housewives. And we had done a uh, Real Housewives book bestseller list for the book, which got cut. And Andy's book has sold more than any Real Housewives book um and and so you know so it's like he gets that benefit and he gets to be able to host cnn Mm. and he gets to be able to do other shows on other networks and produce other shows but then he also has to deal with this stuff and that's why i often call him like a mascot or somebody referred to him as like the queen of england like he's this kind of figurehead but you know and if he wants things to change like yes things might change but there are also a lot of other power structures there So, yeah, so, and, but, you know, I, I mean, I love Andy and I love what he does for us. And I think he's become a great host to watch what happens live and he knows what the fans want, but I I always think
1: when he's good at a reunion, there's like no one better when he's like, yes, especially the, the summer house reunion, this past one, I thought like, wow, he was, he was just so good.
2: I thought, but I also think what a lot of people don't understand. I live in the UK and Des is like, Legit famous in Ireland. People like, told
1: me that because I had said something shady, probably, or, and people. There was someone from Ireland that reached out to me and was like, "Danny, no, he's like a legitimate person here.
2: He's like the Jay Leno of Ireland. Like oh. he's he has like shows on there, like big networks. He's been a comedian there for a really long time. And so, like, and people are like, oh, he wants to be on this show to like help his career, and it's like, um. I, think it, it, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> Look, I don't believe that comedians work on these shows. Like, I don't think, I, I know Agreed.
1: Hannah, uh, Dana from Vanderpump Rules. There's, the nuance doesn't come across. They're not around other funny people, so that's weird. It just, it, it the audience, we don't want to see comedians on these shows. It feels weird.
2: Yeah, and it's like, and when you're trying to do, like, a bit where you're, like, sleeping on Kyle and Amanda's, counter it's like they're not gonna think it's funny Mm -hmm. so it's not gonna be like oh that was a funny joke guys you know and then then it just becomes like it turns into a
1: dramatic it's scored with a drama dramatic music cues and then the audience is just uncomfortable by it it's half joke half drama
2: yeah and then it's not funny whereas like i think that sonia morgan while not a comedian is fucking hilarious or the women of atlanta porsche hilarious but it's like I always say I always call it Alyssa Edwards funny like Alyssa Edwards is hilarious but she could never write a joke like she doesn't know why she's funny she just is so she keeps doing that and I feel like that's the way that that Bravo liberties that are best at it do it.
1: Do you hear Bethany did stand up do you hear about that know when and where it was like in page six it It was in page six you got to look this up brian because
2: she She probably leaked into page six herself (laughs) there was a
1: a story in page six about how she did stand up and that she reached out to a lot of her famous stand-up comedian friends she texted ellen and chris rock and she's talked about it in a few interviews and i just implore you to go just research that a little bit and and let me know what you think
2: i um will enjoy that very much what do you think of the big shot with bethany it's a big chaotic
1: mess and I've watched every episode so far and I will finish it, but it doesn't know what it wants to be. Like it stresses me out that there's no structure. And I think she, she wanted to make a big deal about how it's not structured like the apprentice, but I do think those shows need something. And the, the bringing contestants in at random and then taking people out at random it all just feels like a hot mess. I wish it would have just been a docu-series. I don't know who I was telling about this. Um, maybe I, on the Sex Unique podcast, but Mark Wahlberg has a docu-series about his businesses on HBO Max. It was yes. really boring, really, really boring. Like it just felt like an infomercial for his stuff. However, I think that's the mold Bethany should have done this show in. And then there could have been this storyline within it about hiring someone and you know meeting with some people or whatever, but- as it stands, it feels like it doesn't know what it wants to be. Are you, what do you think? And
2: and no, I agree with you where it's like, um, the star of The Apprentice was nominally Donald Trump, but it was really the contestants. You know what I mean? Like he just kind of comes in at the beginning, introduces a challenge, comes to the end and fires somebody. Whereas Bethany wants to be like the center of the show. And it's like, and you can't be the center of the show when it's really about, other people and people sort of forget
1: that about the apprentice because originally it was just normal people, but then at the end they completely got rid of that regular version and it became celebrity apprentice because it became about Joan Rivers and uh, I mean, some of the housewives around there and yeah, it was about those personalities, but
2: yeah. Right. And, and so I think, yeah, I agree with you that it does. And also I think that like, when Bethany was originally on Real Housewives of New York and she was mean to the Countess, we were all like, oh, she's poorer than them. Like, they all look down on her and she's being mean to them. Okay, that's what I would do. Right. And now it's like, she's just like, these people come out to be on this reality show with her. And in the first five minutes, she's like, no, bye, gone. I don't like you. Bye.
1: And Brian, those people probably had to quarantine, I would imagine, in a hotel for two weeks. Yeah. Because they filmed it, I think, like in December or something. Yeah. So imagine giving up two weeks of your life in a fucking hotel room to be on this show. And then you just get berated in the first 30 minutes and are gone. I mean, right.
2: nightmare. And, and I just think that that, and, and like right now when we're dealing with all this stuff about how employees are treated and labor rights and whatever, it's like not really the best look. It feels
1: so distinctly like 2006 or seven to me. Like the, that's the kind of vibe, like the devil wears Prada vibe, which Uh, Yeah, like you said, I I don't even think that movie, although I love it, it was very much a product of its time. And I don't know if uh, culturally that's where we are either right now. Um, I will watch Devil Wars Prada anytime it's on television.
2: But if they came out today,
1: I think people would just receive it differently. And that's kind of where the Bethany show lands. I
2: had like 30 minutes left on my plane ride to Los Angeles. And I was like, Oh, they have double worse Prada. Okay. 30 <laughs> minutes of double worse Prada. I'm in.
1: As long as you like, can get to the makeover montage or all the, when she's walking down the streets and the different outfits yes, to Madonna. Absolutely.
2: And if it's on cable and we've all, that's passed. And I'm like, no, like okay. it, It's makeover montage or bust for me, honestly. Ryan,
1: obviously I could talk to you forever. Is there anything else you want to tell people about the book? I want to encourage everyone to go get it, but is there anything else you want to clear up? Anything you want to spill? Anything else about the book?
2: Um, one of the things that I'm sad that got cut from the book is I wrote, like, there are these, like, mini chapters in between the chapters, and I wrote one about something from Real Housewives history that I don't understand why we're not talking about all the time, and that is the Brandy Glanville-Joanna Krupa Smelly Vagina lawsuit, which, what a wild um, time. oh my god, like, that's, like, one of my favorite Housewives events ever, um, so that, you know, but I think that what um, I think is really interesting that I got into was like, you know, I went on vacation with Vicky and I went to BravoCon and um, I talked to academics who are fans, who, but who also study the Real Housewives and like just really about like the fan communities. And like I I wanted to write this book to answer all the questions that we have as fans and Um, and by doing that, you know, I ended up meeting all these fans and I think more than talking to the housewives or the producers or whatever, like that was really cool and exciting for me. It was just like connecting with those people and trying to figure out like why we watch it and what we love about it and how it's kind of different for everybody. And, um, yeah, all of that great stuff.
1: I mean, I, now I'm a pop culture junkie and what is so fascinating to me about this world of housewives is that it has become a culture unlike anything else outside of maybe like bachelor nation sort of has a culture built around it. Uh, But there's very few pop culture things that have the gravitas or I don't know if that's the right word, but the passion behind it in terms of fan bases. And so reading it, even though I haven't quite finished yet, I'm dying to, but It's, uh, it's so wonderful to just absorb all of that world and get to know some of these juicy behind the scenes things that I think a lot of us always wondered about vacations and, and stuff like that, that uh, even questions there were, there were certain things in the book that it was like questions I didn't realize I had about these shows. And so all of that (laughs) is really fascinating. And I think um, you should be proud and I hope everyone reads it and it's perfect time to get this good juicy beetroot
2: thank you thank you
1: sir brian where can people find you on social media anything else you want to plug
2: oh my god i have like a million things coming up Please. um so vulture and i are starting uh real housewives institute bulletin um the first one it's an email newsletter the first one would be on the 21st of may and it'll be every two weeks and it'll be um housewives news recap highlights original features that i'm gonna write like silly things um but you know best comment of the week stuff like that so you can sign up for that at vulture.com slash housewives um the book is coming out may 25th you can pre-order it now at the um and then i'm also doing a talk about the book with ira madison the third oh we um, love ira I love Ira, and so we're gonna chat about the book, about housewives, do some trivia, like all that stuff. It's being hosted by Left Bank Books from St. Louis, uh, Andy Cohen's hometown. Um, so and that's Tom on Sandoval. T- and Tom Sandoval. Um, anyone else from? I am from um, Central Connecticut, home of Kim Zolciak-Biermann and Luanne de Lesseps.
1: Oh, two of the two of the. I was gonna say greats. I guess greats. Yeah. I mean, What do you yeah. think Kim Zolciak is going to do next?
2: I don't know, but she didn't save any of that money, so I don't know. I feel like all she's built for it at this point is reality television, so I feel like she'll end up on Celebrity Worst Chefs Ever or I could something. see, like,
1: what's that, um, the boot camp shows, which we haven't gotten many house, I feel like they stopped going over there. But, you know, I could see maybe there being the resurgence of, like, Vanderpump people and... Over do you think
2: Brielle is really gonna go to Summer House?
1: No, I think that was a rumor. Did you think that was a rumor? I felt like it was a rumor.
2: I feel like that's a rumor that she started so that she could try to get cast on Summer House I mean, sometimes do we, we,
1: so we hear these things and I feel like you could tell it's very clearly planted by someone. But then yes. other times I'll read something and I'll think it's totally planted and then it'll be like a real thing. And I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? I don't get the the winter house thing. They're calling it like summer house winter getaway or something. I don't like the titling that they're using. No, me neither. Why not just call it winter house? It's stupid. The only thing I was thinking was like, maybe there's like some legality where they have to call it summer house. And then, or or production wants it to be all under that umbrella. I don't know.
2: Or yeah, maybe they're doing that in case like it's not popular and then they can be, Oh, it's just a special edition of summer house. I really, really, really want them to make Summer House colon Fire Island with a house full of gays, but make it exactly like Summer House, not that shitty Fire Island show, because it would like I know so many houses of New York gays that would be so awesome on a Summer House show that
1: by the way, um, I like that that uh, gay show fight was a fire Island. I watched it and I yeah. I loved every episode. They also had the a-list. I love the a-list. Did you watch
2: those shows? It was like, Oh, to, I recapped the a-list for God. I I oh my God. New York and Dallas. I don't know how we don't have a gay docu-soap. Like that just seems crazy to me. I thought those
1: were both good, but I think because they were on logo, maybe like there wasn't a ton of budget. And then also I felt like when those came out, there was, it was just like, oh, it's too messy. And because there's so little gay representation on TV, it's like when we do have a gay thing, it has to be like so perfect and PC. Yeah. And- like, oh,
2: why aren't there any, you know, tr- trans people of color? Why aren't there any of this? Why aren't there any of that? Why? Yeah. And like s- straight people on The Bachelor, they can have a 100 different versions of The Bachelor because or, or whatever right. it is. Um, be, well, and straight people have – so right, and gay people, when something is on and it's gay, everyone wants to see themselves in it, which, like, I get because there's not enough, but also at the same time, like, you know, yeah. Yeah,
1: I want a messy housewife-esque for gays.
2: I mean, maybe it should be about us. It'll be, like, me, <laughs> you – Colton Underworth, <laughs> Gus Kenworthy um, get that Kyle Krieger up in there and oh you know God. we'll just have a great time
1: I wouldn't I'm not built for drama on camera but I would I, I would love to be on these shows. <laughs> the only thing I want to do on these shows is like just do the confessional work like I would want I wouldn't want to be in the scenes like just let me in a confessional and that's enough for me.
2: Yeah, like I just want to be able to watch your drama on a monitor and then like say bitchy things about it. So yeah. basically, like we want to do, we do what now. our job is currently.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so, luckily, I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now, Cozy is fantastic, a North American company that
2: I can't wait for the newsletter, anything else. um, No. And then the 26th for Left Bank Books. Check that out with me and Ira and the book. And I mean, it's all, hashtag it's all happening. It's all happening. Do you
1: foresee a second book in the works? Like, do you think like in 10 years, maybe we can look back on this other time?
2: I mean, maybe. I think that would be great. I would love to do another one of these about something like uh, Drag Race. Like I think that would be like a really good that would be interesting great. thing to like get into. So maybe maybe that. I don't know. Get at me, draggers. Do that. St- <laughs> I <laughs> know, do that. It. That would
1: be great. I would read the shit out of that. Brian, thank you so much for stopping by everything iconic. Always a pleasure, and hopefully you'll be back. Everyone go check out his book. You could buy it at the Book, is that right Dot com. Yeah,
2: the
1: Thank you, Brian.